Welcome back to Administrative Static. Uh, I'm Janine Yunus. I'm here with John Vecchioni, and we're talking about uh, Relentless versus the U.S. Department of Commerce. Uh, John uh, is the lead attorney on that case and just got a grant of certiorari in the Supreme Court last week. Uh, so this is an exciting development at NCLA. I believe it's our second case in the Supreme Court. That's right. Um, so, John, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the plaintiffs in this case, um, who they are and and what their complaint is. So, well, <laughs> well I've so um, there are three companies, Relentless, Huntress, and Seafreeze Fleet, LLC. And they're small companies in North Kingston, Rhode Island, and they fish out of North Kingston, Rhode Island. That's where they go out into the herring fisheries and the fisheries of New England and the Mid-Atlantic. And um, and they have they have two boats. And it's kind of the Relentless Company has a boat, Relentless, right? And so that, that one's easier. It's a great name for it, this case. It is. <laughs> it really is. And they have been relentlessly pursuing the uh, – the administrative state in this case, they've been wonderful clients. Megan Lapp is uh, is really directing this on their side. And this, the second company is Huntress. Um, but their ship, uh, they got a new ship. Their ship is Persistence, not Huntress. It used wow. to be Huntress. <laughs> but I think the way Huntress went is that it was over length or something and it and it fell afoul of, of regulations. I could be wrong about that. But so they got – so the company Huntress has a ship called Persistence. And then Seafreeze Fleet sort of uh, owns – both of them, and um, they are they are fishermen, and they have a unique way of fishing. They have these freezer boats, and I think they're the only ones who fish this way. And they have four different um, marine life they take, um, and and so it's been very successful. And they've been doing this a long time. And one of the problems with Chevron is really shown by the fact that they read the amendments to the Magnuson Stevenson Act in the '90s when it came out about putting observers on boats, and they didn't. They didn't go to their congressmen and say, right. oh, we don't want to have this. They said, hey, look, they got it. There's always the problem of you can't have overfishing. And they recognize that. And they, they, you know, there's sort of, it's like in that movie Coda, there's sort of a culture clash between the, the type of people who are observers and the right. fishermen. <laughs> but, but they didn't complain about it. You know, they, they didn't, they didn't try to get stopped. They read the statute. It looked like, oh, observers will be on there. We know what observers are. They're paid by the government. We've, we, we've understand what those are. And then 20 years later, the administrative state with says, uh, look, we're going to have you pay for it. And so they put in all these comments when the regulation came out and the comments were completely, ah, tough. <laughs> you know, that was the response. And they said, we're going to be like I was arguing in the last segment, we're going to be hurt worse than anyone because we stay out longer. And, oh, I forgot one thing. There is a uh, exception. If you take 50 metric tons of herring um, a trip or less, you don't have to have an observer. Oh, wow. Our guys. What, what's the basis for that exception? Uh, because it doesn't, it, it's not enough fish that they worry about it. Oh. Okay. I, that's a lot. So okay. it's out. Yeah, it's like not. A lot of I know it, it is. It is. A, <laughs> uh, you know, they're wet. They're heavy. Yeah. What can I tell you? Anyway, so the fact is, so so the um, 50, the 50 limit per trip means that, remember I told you the other hairy fishermen yeah. are only out for three days to five days. You could go out three to five days, take 50 tons of herring for two weeks, you'd get 150 tons of herring 
Whereas we are out for two weeks and we get 60 tons of herring and we've got an observer on our boat that whole time and right. we're paying the 710. So we're really- And that's, that's like $700 a day, right? Yes. Which is, yeah, often, I mean, so often, it's five days. Yeah, that's, yes, that's, yes. It's brutal. So some of these people probably weren't even, were just breaking even. Yes. What's the point it, of you? Exactly. <laughs> it, it's actually brutal and, and you're basically taking money. If, if you don't, if you're not going after any herring, you're with butterfish or squid, is you're paying for this guy who is supposed to be a herring guy. So it's crazy. For, for, it's just like a lot of administrative rules. It doesn't make any sense for our guys. But right. in any event, but that, but Chevron, uh, the, the Chevron deference shows these guys, how were they supposed to oppose this when the statute came out? How were they supposed to talk to their congressman? Nobody could see this coming. Right. So, but what the First Circuit says is, oh, all regulated parties should assume they have to pay all costs of regulation. Well, that's not the law. Judge Kayada put that in his, he, he said it in his first, this is a First Circuit opinion. He put it in the First Circuit opinion and he cited himself in a concurring opinion in a case called Gaithel, that cause of action that I used to be with, brought and and in cause of action, they had this observer program and the mac. These were mackerel, different kind of fish. And the First Circuit said, "Ah, you didn't bring the suit soon enough. It was a statute of limitations uh, suit." But the the First Circuit said, "Hey, Congress should look at this. They might want to do something about this because if we ever have to decide the law, we'd like Congress to know what the agencies are doing." And Kiata put in a concurring, a concurring and dissenting, saying, "You shouldn't tell Congress that. We, our job is just to say what you know." And he says in there that you you pay all the costs of regulation. That's just assumed, and that's not true. Yeah. It's not a true thing. He only cites himself because this is a government service. You have to pay the cost of getting in uh, to, of doing the regulation. For instance, scrubbers, right? It says you have, can only have so much coal come out of a smokestack. You got to pay the cost for making sure your smokestacks don't uh, have excess uh, uh, carbon or whatever it is uh, soot coming out. That type of regulatory thing. But you don't have to pay for the guy sitting sitting over in in, in uh, the government agency making that rule, that's crazy. So in any event, so I, I do think they've smuggled that in and that maybe smuggled, smuggled in under Chevron saying, oh, that's just Chevron deference to their views of who should pay. And right. that just takes away Congress's power to right. decide who pays and where the money goes. So so, so our clients are, are I, I'd urge everyone to go to the NCL a, um website and take a look at the luncheon law we did with Megan Lapp. It's really good. Yeah, it was. Um, and so so why do you think the Supreme Court, or why did the Supreme Court take this case? Eh? Well, my briefs were absolutely unanswerable by the government. They were just so good that it was impossible <laughs> for them to so do anything just, else. They just didn't file it, any. They, it, they it, said it, it we was, give up. Uh, exactly. They shrugged. And, <laughs> no. Uh, I, 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 will, I will say that the reason they took this case is because Justice Jackson heard uh, my friend Eric Bolander argued the, the uh, Loper-Bright case before uh, her in the D.C. Circuit. And so she'd heard all our oral argument, but she didn't participate in the uh, opinion of the D.C. Circuit and Loper-Bright, but as generally the Supreme Court justices recused themselves from cases they were in below, okay? So um, she's recused in Loper-Bright, and Chevron is such a big issue that they probably, the, the justices, pro I mean, they didn't talk to me. They say, this is why we're taking it, John. They, the, the, But my understanding of it is they took it because they want a full bench. Chevron was decided with six six justices, but if they're going to overrule it like we've asked, and this is the next important thing, uh, important question, what did they take, right? Right. 
So uh, I think they want a full bench and they want to have Justice Jackson participate. Just like last term, she had uh, she was on the board of Harvard, so she couldn't she had to recuse from the Harvard affirmative action case. But North Carolina had one. She's not on the board of North Carolina. Right. So they had dual. They heard one case without her and then one case with her, even though they argued the same day. So I think that's what's going on here. Right. Um, and so they took it up. Presumably to hear the she- so is right. there a chance we could get Chevron overturned? Or yes. What, what are the sort of options? So here is what we're doing. So they only took the question on whether Chevron should be overturned or at least pulled back, so that if there's silence in a statute, Chevron said that if there's silence in a statute, you can use have Chevron deference. Right. So I think they could pare it back that way. But they didn't take my question about the Magnuson-Stevenson Act, which was a question about what necessary and appropriate means, because we believe that circuits are split on that. Some think necessary and appropriate means they get to do what they want, and some think it's limiting, that right. it has to be both of those things. So they didn't say, said, no, we're not going to take that. And our first question was purposefully designed to be the exact same question, no comma or difference from what's in Loper Bright. So they know that they're taking the exact question only about Chevron. And we have, um, since we um, since they took this case, um, Latham and Watkins, um, uh, Rome, Roman Martinez, has uh, agree, who argues these cases um, uh, often, um, has, has agreed to um, do the oral argument pro bono. So that they've, they also think it's an important question. And so I think um, I think that they're the judges are looking at this seriously because now we're going to have to file our brief by November twentieth. The government will come back December fifteenth with theirs, and then January fifth um, is the reply brief, and then they're going to argue it either January sixteenth or January seventeenth. Oh, wow, the schedule just came out yesterday. So that's what quick. we're talking, it, oh yeah, it's it's incredibly fast, and they held the oral argument. I think that's why they weren't doing Loper Bright is because I filed my brilliant brief that no one could argue <laughs> again. Well, before we have to end, uh, I don't know how you feel about making predictions, but uh, do you, do you have any about how this is likely to go with the current? the current court? I got to tell you, I think that there is um, an appetite in the Supreme Court for doing things slowly, particularly with the chief. And the chief doesn't want to do anything, uh, overrule anything fast. But I think that them taking this case, I think the D.C. Circuit, here's my here's my theories. I think Judge Srinivasan of the D.C. Circuit has been poking the Supreme <laughs> Court to find out what they think about Chevron and get them to overturn it or uphold it. And he always is sending these cases and he sent this this DC case doing all the all, everything they say to do. And um and he and he set it up in a package saying I've done everything right. If you want the only way you can get rid of this is to is to overthrow it. But I think our case in the First Circuit shows that Circuits aren't listening. The lower courts aren't listening to the Supreme Court. There's no way to fix Chevron by saying, and we mean it. There's no way to fix it. So I think really when they look at this First Circuit opinion that the go slow people are going to have a tough road to hoe. They're going to have to either just say, we love us some Chevron, or they're going to have to say, nope, it's got to go. It's not working. It's bad constitutionally for all the reasons that Phil Hamburger says. 
um, and they've got to overrule it. And I think looking at both these cases side by side is going to improve the chances of getting Chevron completely overturned. Well, so that's my bold prediction. We will uh, we'll hope that it happens. And congrats, John, on an uh, incredible uh, first step in a victory. <laughs> it is. It's great to have it taken. And uh, and it's going to be a lot of work in the, you know, over the holidays. But uh, we it's look forward it. to it. <laughs> 